Good morning, True Transformation. It's your host, Josiah Novak. On today's podcast, I have a very special guest, trainer to some of the top NFL players and other athletes in different sports, including MMA, basketball, football, you name it. This guy trains athletes from all walks of life. Josh Cuthbert is his name, and he owns a training facility down in Nashville, Tennessee, that hosts some of the biggest names in pro sports, um, and he helps them prepare for the seasons and the training that they have to go through in order to be the best athletes in their chosen sport. I wanted to sit down with Josh for a couple of reasons. One, I've been pursuing a lot more athletic endeavors over the past couple of years, and I know I have a lot of clients who do the same thing. A lot of us deal with injuries. A lot of us deal with setbacks. A lot of us just want to be able to perform athletics at a higher level, right? We want to be able to get out there and play our chosen sports or participate in athletic events and not have to worry about getting hurt, getting injured, or not being prepared for that sport. So Josh is one of the brightest minds in the industry, and I wanted to have him on the show to chat about some of these topics. You can find Josh's Instagram page at jcuthbert underscore training on Instagram. Be sure to check him out and connect with him because he's putting out high-quality information on a daily and weekly basis. So without further ado, let's jump into today's show with Josh Cuthbert. Welcome to the True Transformation Podcast with your host, me, Josiah Novak. Welcome to the podcast. Here's my daddy, Josiah Novak. Hey guys, before we jump into the show today, I just want to remind you, I have a free guide for you. It's a complete instruction manual on how to get in the best shape of your life, how to drop body fat, how to build more muscle definition, how to improve your strength, how to set up your nutrition plan so that you actually enjoy it and you get results at the same time. The guide is free, so go check it out at lookgoodnaked.co. That's lookgoodnaked.co. All right, now let's jump into today's show. And just a quick reminder, if you haven't left us a rating and review and subscribe to the show, be sure to do that now. Check out all the episodes. We have over 160 episodes with high-quality information interviews helping you transform your body and life permanently. All right, Josh Cuthbert is on deck. Let's go. Josh, so, um, you know, actually it's funny. Right before I was coming on the show today, uh, I was – I'm a huge diehard Chicago Bears fan. Like I, you know, live and breathe Chicago sports – and I was watching uh, Khalil Mack and some highlights uh, from training camp. And he just like bulldozed some of these trainers that I guess are like holding pads for him and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah. man, I got to get Josh to talk to me about how to develop some power like that. <laughs> well, you know, Khalil, um, God, God, God given talent, you know, first and foremost, I'm sure. But a lot of these guys, you know, they, they put in so much work, like mm. over the course of their whole entire life. Um, like I'm, I'm going to get off of Khalil and I'm going to talk about, uh, what's it? D- DK Metcalf. So mm. there was a video that came out of DK back squatting upwards of 135 pounds at like nine years old. Right? <laughs> so Jesus he's Christ. this, he's this unbelievable freak athlete. Right. But people were like, okay, you know, I'm sure he puts in a lot of work with this trainer in the off season or Paul Jackson at Ole Miss did this with him. No, listen, this dude's been hitting it hard for 16 years and he's only 23 years old right Mm -hmm. so since he was probably seven or eight years old he's been getting after it uh leonard Fournette was the same way i would imagine khalil max probably the same way and you know a lot of these guys they probably 
maintain a large, you know, their one rep max is probably pretty high, but what all these guys do a great job of is taking that relative strength and converting it into absolute power. Right. Mm, Yeah. So, you know, I saw something recently and it said rarely, and this is pretty true. I played football at Louisiana tech and it was the same way there. Rarely is your absolute strongest, whether it's the squat or the bench or whatever it is, absolute strongest person on the team, the best player on the team. Mm. Now, if you go and you kind of convert that and you turn into somebody who can hit the best three rep max on power clean, now maybe you got something, you know, you got some explosiveness or whatever it is, but the guy that bench pressed 550, you know, in the corner wasn't normally the best football player. Got it. Um, yeah. In my experience, at least. Makes um, sense. So, yeah, just, you know, taking that, uh, that absolute strength and, you know, just taking that force velocity curve and being able to turn that strength into power. Um, and that's mm-hmm. what a lot of people I think now in strength and conditioning are doing a pretty good job of. Even in my early time, you know, I started football in college 2008. We had a lot of bench press. We had a lot of squats, you know, heavy deads. But as I've watched it kind of convert now, you have maybe you'll hit a set of squats for three and then you'll hit like a post-activation potentiation. You'll go straight into box jumps. So they're trying to find ways to convert that strength into immediate power, right? Because you can be strong, but if you can't actually utilize that strength in your sport, what's the point of getting big and strong, right? Sure. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, so, uh, again, I, I bet you he can uh, – if he were in a weight room, I'm sure he would be able to put up some unbelievable numbers, <laughs> especially if he trained for absolute strength. Mm. But point blank, at 265 pounds, he can probably pick up a car if he needed to. <laughs> and chuck it over a mountain or something. Right? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's insane. So – that kind of leads me to, and obviously I want to talk about your background, how you got into actually working with athletes, but I'm curious to know your thought. Like, so obviously there's a genetic element to athletes, right? Um, if you look at the top of any sport, you know, right now, for example, and we'll shift years a little bit, but I've been pursuing uh, the sport of obstacle course racing, right? Okay. And there's people at the top of the game, just like any other sport, right? People who are consistently better than everybody else. And you mentioned something when you, know, you first started talking about Khalil in regards to some other athletes that really just put in the work from an early age, right? But I'm curious to know, like, for those of us, you know, I, I call us like average Joes. And I don't know if like average Joe's the right word. It sounds kind of demeaning, but it's like people who say, hey, I want to jump into a sport of some kind. I want to be better than average. Do you feel like athletes typically have just God-given ability and then they combine that with extremely good work ethic or do you see people who are like hey you know um i'm willing to bust my ass and they climb to the top of the sport just by sheer work ethic or do you maybe see a little bit of both like what do you see a lot when working with top athletes um i think we're going to say a little bit of both and the reason i say that is you take somebody like khalil mack very gifted obviously a hard worker and what do you get the best player in football right Mm-hmm. Um, you can take somebody like let's use Trent Taylor, who's a slot receiver for the 49ers. Trent had one division one offer, um, out of high school. He was five foot seven, 142 pounds. So he went on to play at Louisiana tech, um, ended up getting drafted by the 49ers, but he still is five, eight and a half, 178. 
but he busts his ass. So Trent mm-hmm. obviously doesn't have the God-given ability and just genetics is Khalil Mack. But because of how hard of a worker he is, he's got himself to the top, you know, for him, the top level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's maximized his genetic potential or George Kittle for that matter. You know, his dad played football at Iowa, was offensive lineman. But George, when you look at him, he just doesn't scream, you know, Khalil Mack. You put those two side by side and you can tell that Khalil Mack is the most dominating force in football. Yep. And George, George is a big guy, 6'4", you know, 250. But he was a free safety wide receiver in high school. He was 6'4", 185. Mm. So he busted his butt to get to 250 pounds and still run a 4'5 and do all the things that he does now. So – Without there's a lot of guys without the drive they wouldn't get there and I'm not going to say that Khalil Mack or some of these guys would still get there without you know a pretty good work ethic but there there's definitely is a difference between you know just that unbelievable God given talent that you'll see from a Leonard Fournette and a Khalil Mack and then some of the people that have really really put it in day in and day night um, to get to the level that they're at sure. so I guess in in short. Uh, the old phrase, hard work beats talent every time if talent doesn't work hard. I think that's true, right? So mm-hmm. if you take um, most Division One, you know, football players are all pretty gifted, but especially at a place like Alabama or Clemson, what separates these four- and five-star athletes is the ones that want to put in the work because they're all four- and five-star athletes. They're all 6'2", mm-hmm. 225. They're all bench pressing 300 pounds when they get there. It's what they do when they get there that separates them from the pack. And then they go on to the next level. Makes, makes sense. How did you fall into, or, or how did you, I guess, develop a passion for working with athletes? Like what, what led to where you are right now? Uh, so I grew up in a weight room, you know, with just with football. Um, and I was blessed to have an opportunity to work at Cal Berkeley for a little while in their weight room. Then I ended up at Ole Miss to get my master's. And I just, I knew that I wanted to be around athletes. Um, the first job that I took after, graduate school was up in Nashville at a, uh, a clinic that had orthopedic surgeons, which the lead doctor was the doctor for the Titans. So that was, that was an end. Um, they went from the orthos to PT and then our model was taking the PTs and transitioning to the people like myself who had a master's and a CSCS and kind of just this whole like circle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like the reconditioning model of taking somebody that may have become off of an injury or even in the off season, you know, they're banged up. So kind of starting them fresh and building them back up. And within that, I was, you know, fortunate, right. To get a couple athletes, Eric Decker and people like that, that um, I earned their business. And from there, it just kind of just sprouted. And now mm-hmm. we got people from green Bay, from San Francisco, from Atlanta, from uh, Cincinnati, the Seahawks, you know, there's just people that have come in, because of the athletes that are here, they kind of like to work in that atmosphere, right? Like most uh, pro athletes worked in a college weight room. So they're used to having people around them um, and they, they vibe off each other. Right. So training one or two guys at a time is cool. But when you have a weight room full of eight to 12 pros and the music's bumping, that's an atmosphere that they, that not only are they paying, you know, for quality coaching, but they're paying to be part of that atmosphere as well. Sure. Yeah. I talk about environment all the time. I think environment is such a heavily underused, uh, at least factor for a lot of people, you know, finding even like a gym that you just enjoy being in, uh, is such a huge thing, especially if you're just a person trying to lose weight. Like, you know, it's like, you gotta, you gotta find the atmosphere that gets you 
you know, excited to be there or at least feeling good, uh, which, yeah, it makes total sense. Those guys would want to be around almost like silent competition, right? Like, hey, yeah. someone's working their ass off next to me. I'm probably going to work harder, too. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of these guys, because they have put in so much work in the past, um, it, it is that atmosphere really keeps them going, right? Because these guys, they've done, you know, barbell bench press for 17,000 reps in their life. The last thing they want to do is take themselves to the gym, you know, even if, even if they're one-on-one -on -one with their personal trainer, load up the bar, get underneath it. No, they want to, they want to dance around. They want to bump around a little bit. They want to slam stuff. They want to get hype. You know, it's, it's what, it's really what they're paying for. Right. Cause they're, sure. they're going to put in the work, but if they're having fun while they're doing it. They're going to keep coming back. And that's one thing I like to preach with one of my uh, colleagues here in Nashville is as long as we keep bringing the energy, this is going to keep growing. Like I challenge people all the time, you know, bring more energy than me in a weight room and I'll call you a liar because it's mm -hmm. just not going to happen. Right. So the athletes feed off that and they come into the weight room ready to work, excited to work because they know I'm as excited, probably double as excited to watch them, to coach them through that work. Right. So they can feel that from me. And when they, when they feel that it's go time. Sure. Yeah. It makes sense. So obviously football is uh injury riddle. I mean, it's, it's probably, it's gotta be the sport I would say that, has the most injuries um I, I could be wrong but i i feel like that's got to be the case maybe basketball has some but football seems to be the the leader in injuries um and so this past like two years for me personally uh i call it the the 18 months of just injuries it's been like yeah. for the first time in my life you know hit my mid-30s and uh grew up playing baseball wrestling a little football basketball like i played played everything and never had any serious like debilitating injuries right um worked out my whole life and never really ran into issues but all of a sudden started pursuing uh, a sport right the obstacle course racing and all of a sudden injuries started to just like show up at my doorstep like a, a cold caller every day <laughs> it was it was yeah. like awful right um started with a hernia uh got that fixed and then uh bumped my head got eight stitches shortly thereafter and then uh, tore my bicep uh, right off the bone, uh, about three months ago, got surgery on that. And then, uh, just recently, which I'm dealing with now is, uh, runner's knee, right? So just, I guess it's patellar tendonitis or whatever they call it. Um, yep. where the front of my kneecap and around my kneecap just constantly aches. So I say all that, not to, <laughs> not to talk about all my injuries, but I'm curious to know, like, how do you, and we don't talk about specifically football, but like, how would you approach number one injury prevention? Because obviously you work with a lot of guys whose life depends on not getting hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and then for those of the people, and this is obviously a loaded question. There's probably uh, an hour of content we could talk about here, but injury prevention being a, a focus and then also like rehabbing after a serious injury. I mean, where, where do you put most of your time and effort or is it kind of mixed? And then how do you approach those things? So, you know, f for you, you know, kind of to rewind a little bit, um, sounds like most everything, especially the climbing, all that stuff, you're, you're applying new stimulus across the board, right? So yep. if I get, if I get an athlete, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, whatever it is, like we're going to do, you know, some standard muscle activation techniques. We're going to, you know, move joints through a range of motion. I do a ton of unilateral work. I think it transitions great to most every single sport, whether it's upper or lower. Um, and then for me, I, I always spend, you know, my, my muscular endurance phase is different than 
a lot of people's, I believe, because I, I take a little bit more of a triphasic approach where I'm loading that joint heavily under an eccentric load. Mm. Um, so instead of maybe 15 to 20 reps, I may still only do five to eight, but our time under tension is going to be so great. And it just, I, I believe that it builds that foundation of, you know, controlling that joint, that joints used to that load under long periods of time. Um, you know, especially for you, right. If you're, if you're getting runner's knee, it just sounds like, you know, that patella is just taking the, the blunt of that force where, you know, maybe the quad or the hamstring just isn't, isn't coming into play like it should during your run. Mm. Um, or if it's, you know, a tennis athlete that's having tennis elbow where we're going to have to rewind a little bit and we're going to have to hit those extensors of the forearm, but we're gonna have to work it through a slow eccentric phase. So they, they can get used to squeezing that tennis racket for two hours. Right. Sure. Um, especially people that, you know, I'm going to go take up golf. Well, you know, we see it all the time you know, I got tennis elbow or my back hurts. Well, they didn't put in the prerequisite amount of time to prepare them for that individual sport. Right. So your bicep rupture, you know, you've probably done a fair bit of bicep curls in your life. I think we all have, but yeah. you haven't trained that time under tension for, I don't know how long you were climbing, but it was probably or whatever you were doing. There's a lot of uh, isometric holds, all that stuff in climbing that the bicep might not have been ready for. So, you know, if I have somebody depending on their sport, I just, I try to individualize our early phases to where they can, they can handle whatever load is definitely going to be in their sport. And then we'll, we'll progress from there, right? Like we're not going to spend a ton of time eccentric loading somebody but I do want to make sure that they're ready for what's to come. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So in regard, so like a lot of people who listen to this show, you know, they're just people who like to look good, feel good. Right. But I still talk to a lot of people who have injuries um, just working out. Right. Whether it's like, Hey, I, I sprained this or I pulled this or I wake up with soreness. What do you feel like everybody needs to do in order to prevent just day-to-day injuries, right? Whether that's picking up a box and you're like, oh shit, you know, I pulled my back out or, you know, what, what are some of the things that you prescribe even for like people that would be non-athletes technically who just like to work out? What are some of the like checklists you could say would be beneficial for people to prevent injuries? Um, so for injury reduction, cause I don't, I don't think we can ever really prevent, um, mm. you know, injuries completely, but I think it's, you know, solid training principles, right? So applying two to one pull to push not only on the upper body but on the lower body right so if our hamstrings and our glutes can take the majority of the load when we're going to pick up a box you know we're less likely to you know pull our back right um if especially if we have healthy shoulders we have great posture less likely to have some shoulder impingement once we get back into pressing um i think being strong for the most part which you might be a an outlier but you know, strong is never wrong and strength is never a weakness. Right. So, Mm. you know, not the stronger we get, but quote unquote, the functionally stronger we get, the more likely or the less likely we are to hurt ourselves doing a functional activity. And I don't Mm. mean, you know, lateral kettlebell swings or some, you know, weird thing that you'll see on Instagram, just, you know, getting strong through the generic compound movements. Right. So if it's a 60 year old lady, if, you know, for her, her functionally strong, maybe getting off the couch without using her hands. Right. So, sure. you know, progressing her through a goblet box squat may prevent her from trying to jump off the couch too quickly and, you know, pulling in a rector or multifidus in her back, whatever it is. Um, yeah, that's for me, you know, strong people 
are less likely to get injured. It's as we lose strength, as we lose hypertrophy over the years, mm-hmm. when simple stuff tends to start flaring up more and more. Like my dad called, you know, his ankle, whatever it is, his calf, right? He's been, he started a walking regimen. Well, now his calf started flaring up. And I'm like, well, no, you can't just go from doing nothing for 15 years to walking four miles a day. You're not ready. <laughs> you're not, you're physically, like, you're not strong enough. Sure. Um, and, you know, it's hard for people to hear sometimes, but spending some time, whether it's fat loss or whatever your goal is, spending your time on strength and hypertrophy is going to help you in more ways than, than not. Right. Yeah. No, it's, I think you're spot on with that because like in my case, like with runner's knee, you know, I, I have a, what I, what I call a, a mental, uh, it's almost like a, you know, your, your mind is ahead of your body, right. For me at least where I can go out and run 10 miles just cause I'm mentally tough. Right. I'll be like, all right, I'm mm-hmm. just going to go do it. I'll push through. I don't, I don't quit. Right. And then, you know, four miles in your knee starts to flare up and you're like, damn it. Like I, I just want to keep going because my mind is locked in. Right. My, yep. my mental state is that of this is, this is what I do to get tougher is what I do to push myself. Um, but, but your body's like, dude, just not ready yet. Yep. <laughs> it's like, yep. how do you, how do you, cause obviously you work with some badasses, right? Guys who are just mentally tough as hell. And especially with football, you know, you, there's not a lot of fear when it comes to working out for these guys. So how do you get people to, to, to say, hey, look, I know your mindset is that of I'm just going to go out and, and crush this, but your body's just not ready. How do you get people to strategically follow a progressive plan that, that prevents them or at least does a lot of prevention in regards to avoiding injury? Um, I think a lot of it is your athletes having trust in you, right? Like mm. these guys – especially at the highest level. Um, one thing that I talked to them on their initial consultation, when I'm sitting down with them. You know, I like to tell them that they are a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or whatever it is. Right. And those cars are the most valuable with the least amount of miles. So instead of going out and putting mileage on these vehicles, all I want to do is keep that vehicle running at 100% efficient efficiency and keep it as valuable as possible because they're already Lamborghinis, right? Like maybe we can, maybe we can take that Lamborghini and we can make it a little bit faster. But the last thing we want to do is run that Lamborghini into the ground and risk it getting a flat tire, you know, somewhere down Mm. the road. So, you know, once you kind of, when, when you're on the same page with your athletes, um, none of these guys, I haven't done it in years. Have I hit a one rep max? Haven't done it. No need to like Mm. it. I don't care. I'll do maybe three or five reps. I'll get a pretty general estimation for a training max and we'll go from there. And, and they respect that because they know how valuable they are also, but they also know, you know, via the methods that we use that if we're still hitting threes and fives heavy, especially with some accommodating resistance, whatever it is, we're still getting stronger um, mm-hmm. and bigger and faster, whatever, whatever the you know goal is of that phase. Um, and I always just preach to them that, especially with the Olympic lifts, all that stuff, being safe, being able to get out of the way of the bar, dump the bar, all that stuff. We want to be good weightlifters, but we want to be phenomenal football players, right? So if I get some guy that all of a sudden he wants to try to drop underneath the clean at 350, no, we're, we're backing down. Like we're, mm. we're dropping back a little bit. You know, maybe we'll just, we'll do two sets of three instead of, you know, one set of two, you know, to keep, just keep that injury risk at a minimum. And then I can talk to them, especially these guys that don't have a ton of overall knowledge. You know, I can explain to them that by dropping that one rep, 
adding another set of three reps, now you just lifted a thousand pounds more, right? Mm -hmm. Because now our total volume just went up by a thousand. They're like, oh, holy crap. That's awesome. I'm like, yeah, it is awesome. And now you feel great and you didn't get hurt. So let's, let's move on to something, you know, less, less in the red zone, right? Because I, I take plyometrics, Olympic lifts, all that stuff, and they're all labeled red, like within my movement database, right? And then orange is a little bit less likely. Green is, you know, your isometric or your isolation movement. So they're all good. But on those red volume lifts or those red intensity lifts, the volume's got to be low. You know, the risk reward is there. I want to hit them, but I don't want to absolutely crush them with those lifts, right? Mm. Um, they're important to have in the program. They're important to maintain intensity. They're important to maintain power, but it's not worth it if it gets too far out of hand to where they're, they're risking their body. Sure. Yeah. It makes sense. I actually love that Lamborghini analogy just for anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you only got one body, man. You know, it's yeah. like, you, yeah. you better take care of that thing because the, the more we treat our bodies like a beat up pickup truck or whatever, and we're throwing shit in it and not keeping it clean and whatever, it's like the, the less, you know, or the, the more chance we have, the higher chance we have of you know, something happening to where we're out of the game for a while. So yeah, no, I, that Lamborghini analogy, I, I might have to steal that one. <laughs> that's yeah, that's yeah. amazing. I love that. It makes just total sense just because our bodies are so valuable. We only have one yeah. of them to replace um, it. You know, and I don't love the phrase less is more. Um, there's some out there that'll prescribe, you know, two sets of this, two sets of that, you know, moving with some um, intention, right? But for these NFL athletes, MLB athletes, whoever it is, you know, movement quality is better than movement quantity for sure. Mm. So not that less is more, but the reps that we do are going to be super clean, right? Like we're going to try to make sure that we maintain our integrity in our lifts, in our form so that we maximize what we're trying to do. Right. So if it starts getting crazy, I might, I might cut a set in the middle of it. And they're like, what the heck? I'm like, you should have seen yourself just now. Like, no, we're done. We're moving on. Um, so again, it's, it boils down to, the trust in your clients um, sure. and most good coaches um, have a pretty good relationship with their clients. And that kind of, you know, being a good people person, which, you know, I, I see the people that send you your messages on their progress and all that stuff all the time is you can make progress on a pretty crappy program um, as long as you adhere to it. But what people want is, you know, to build a relationship and trust that they go in day in and day out to complete that program, right? If they don't trust you, um, if they don't like you, I mean, they don't have to like you, but if they don't trust you for sure. They're not going to check in, you know, four or five days a week, check in with you on Wednesdays, let you know how this is going, blah, blah, blah. Sure. They're just not going to do it. So, you know, having that, having that trust with your athletes, with your clients um, goes a long way for adherence, right? Cody McBroom talks about adherence all the time. You know, if they're not adhering to what you have going on, their progress is going to be little to none. No, absolutely. Adherence, at least in my world, is the name of the game for everything, you know, nutrition, training, recovery, um, your ability and, and also your belief in, in the system and the program uh, is, is going to be key to you being able to adhere to, you know, the program. Uh, and if your adherence sucks, your results are going to be awful. Uh, which, you know, goes across the board, whether you're a general population person who's just trying to get in better shape uh, or an athlete who's trying to make millions of dollars on the field. Um, adherence is, is crucial. I'm curious to know, um, as far as recovery, because we could talk, you know, we talk all day about training. 
Uh, we talk all day about, you know, lifting and movement patterns and load and progression and all this good stuff, which is awesome. It's the sexy stuff. It's fun. Uh, but I'm curious to know like with recovery, um, and, and also like, you know, mobility and I don't even know what your thoughts are on things like foam rolling and all that stuff, because I know I get a lot of questions from potential clients or people who are just following me on social media who are like, Hey, what do you suggest for stretching? What do you suggest for mobility and foam rolling and all that stuff, lacrosse ball? Where does that come in with your athletes and the people you work with? Um, not a huge fan of foam rolling. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of like just the, the self soft tissue release. I think there's a, maybe a little bit that can come from it, but if you're coming into training, the first thing you do is roll around on the ground for 15 minutes. That kind of ruins the tempo. It definitely doesn't set the tone for the day. Right. Sure. Um, but if it, if it gives you like mentally some clarity, absolutely. Like if they want to come in and phone wall 15 minutes before we go, absolutely. For, absolute recovery methods though um it's a variation in volume right so making sure that we apply deloads when they're necessary um the nutrition right the nutrition it, it can't be spoken about enough and i know for you that's such a huge part of what y'all got going on but if these athletes aren't eating and and they eat right but they don't eat the way that they probably should, especially in the off season, right? Mm. Um, they just, they get their calories in however they can. So trying to educate them on the importance of separating those macronutrients into something that helps them benefit to, for most of its weight maintenance. Maybe they'll want to put on a little bit of weight. Um, nutrition is huge. You know, just getting them to at least hit their, their maintenance calories when they wake up, they come work out and then they're so much more sedentary than they are during the season. And then we have some good relationships with some physical therapists, massage clinics here in Nashville, um, which, which helps, right? So every Wednesday we'll come in, we'll do active recovery and some core, right? So we'll do a little bit of stretching. I'll take them through some, um, some like controlled or rhythmic rotations on lower body, upper body. Uh, we'll just stimulate the nervous system slightly just enough to, you know, potentially signal a recovery response. Uh, that or a response that the body needs to be recovered, even though we didn't really lift that much weight. And then they'll go down to Travis down in uh, Franklin and they'll, they'll get a massage. Um, any soft tissue work that they may need, dry needles, laser, whatever their ailments are midweek, we always tackle that on Wednesday. And then, you know, him and uh, his team, they're always available 24 seven if we need them to come up to the training facility also. So I think because they're pros, at least from a body work standpoint, you know, they get, they get massages all season long during the season. They have 24 hour access to the training room, all that stuff. So most of these high level athletes, they're used to being taken care of. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, they know that, you know, they definitely need it in the off season too, when the training gets ramped up. So they, you know, we've done a good job of finding people around that can facilitate that number of athletes and keep them happy. And because of that, you know, they feel good, Thursday after, you know, the recovery day. And then here we are back to work. Right. Sure. Um, so, you know, you got your, the people around you that can help you so much. Um, and then the nutrition, because I'm not, I'm not going to lay my hands like physically, like I'm not going to mob somebody's spine, right? Like I'm going to leave that to a professional. If you need your hamstring stretched, that's one thing, but the things like that, that need a professional, I always out service to a professional in that, you know, whatever that area is. Mm. 
Yeah, no, because I it kind of leads me to my next question because you know we see so much stuff on social media, right? Like um, I see people foam rolling, like you know they're digging in, they're just you know rolling around, saying, "Okay, this is going to recover." And I've I've tried foam rolling; it doesn't really seem to do a lot for for me. Um, stretching and mobility does a lot more. Just you know going through movement patterns. Um, seems to be a lot more effective just to feel better. Um, yep. But you see so much on social media that oftentimes people who aren't in the industry, uh, who, like I said, just want to look better naked and feel better, lose some body fat, all that stuff. They're like, well, shit, you know, I see this athlete training like this. Um, and, and we'll call him out. I'll say it, Antonio Brown. Like he's a, he's a huge, huge uh, name. He's connected with like fitness people like uh, Jeff Cavalier, Athlete X. Um, and other, you know, trainers. And there's a lot of just like fancy stuff going on, right? Like yep. you see like him, I don't know, standing on his head and catching tennis balls or whatever, whatever he's doing. Right. And yep. all of a sudden you're like, Oh shit. And this doesn't just apply to him, but you know, there's all these like fancy trainers, you know, I call them, some of them are scammers, but you know, they're, they're basically showing off, right. Trying to get yep. likes, trying to get views. Talk to me about that. Like, what what should people look out for when trying to follow like credible information online? Yeah, so you you hit me somewhere that's like very passionate to me, but uh, I don't know. Like, if you see something that you've never seen before, like if somebody's got on a pair of goggles and they're standing on one leg and they're catching bricks, that's probably not <laughs> that's probably not to be implemented with your high school football team, right? Or your college right. football team, or whatever it is. And I think. A lot of these coaches out there, they get these athletes, and Antonio especially, he, he seems to like bounce around from place to place, right? Yeah. So these these trainers, these coaches, because they they are all credible, they all have good followings. I don't know where they come up with some of this stuff, but they it's almost like they're one shot. So what can I do to promote my to for this to get on ESPN, right? Mm. But you know, at the end of the day, we get into this industry to truly help people, and if you're prescribing something and you can't justify to yourself, much less to the world, why you're doing it, how it's going to help that athlete, why is it being implemented? Mm. Um, so, you know, golly, you know, people standing on BOSU balls with one leg and they make $18 million a year. Are, what happens if he breaks it? Are you going to, are you going to write him the check? Mm. Right. So, um, you know, just keeping for me, I'm a pretty simple strength coach. Like I used to hashtag that on Instagram, but nobody ever followed it. So I stopped hashtagging <laughs> it. Just kidding. Um, but, you know, principles are what principles are, right? So, you know, the compound movements are great. You know, sticking to the basics is what I believe in. Um, you know, crazy stuff that you'd see in the zoo, leave that to the monkeys, right? Mm. Um, you know, hanging on whatever it is. But, you know, sticking to what you truly believe in. Um, when I see stuff like that, I like to go and I'll go look at their page and see what they do, you know, outside of that. And then I can tell if that, if for some reason that's what they believe works, at least I know that they're being genuine, right? Like maybe, maybe it's, you know, a crock of crap, but it's a genuine crock of crap versus I'm going to do this just today because I have this person and we're going to try to blast it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that to me tells me a lot about, I mean, not even a coach's ability, but just, just their integrity. Like, do they change who they are and what they truly believe in to try to, um, you know, make, make somebody look cool uh, for social media? Because there's been a lot of – there's thousands of fantastic strength coaches out there that don't even have an Instagram account, right? 
um, a lot better than these guys that you see blasted on social media for sure. But they just stick to the basics and they continue to get results. And mm-hmm. I think, I think in a, in the field of strength conditioning, um, not, not like I'm going to kind of separate strength coaches and personal trainers just a little bit um, because personal trainers, they have such aesthetic driven clients, right? Typically, um, you know, body type is so important for their results. So some people say, you know, you know, all they do is take pictures with their shirt off, all that stuff. Well, yeah, that's what their business is driven off of. Right. So they need to show results, you know, via somebody transforming their body. Of course, they're going to do that. Right. So that, that doesn't bother me a lick, but the strength coaches that deal with primary athletes and they're trying to, uh, I guess, you know, brand themselves with some bogus that get on out of here with that. Yeah. No, it's, it's a problem for, I mean, it's a problem even in the general fitness, you know, weight loss community where you see people even with diet stuff, you know, doing all sorts of like, just, I guess like a popularity contest type of deal, right? It's like who can, you know, get the most views who can, uh, you know, have the biggest shock factor, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you know, like you like for, I, I hate these, uh, like, you know, these 10,000 calorie challenges, right? Like, all right, let me see how, you know, how I can fit in 10,000 or 15,000 calories in a day, like just, just to get likes, right. Just yeah. to get people to watch. It's like, dude, that, that's not even like, there's never a time for that. Like no. ever. Like uh, ever, <laughs> you know, like it's funny, I guess for about two seconds. And I'm like, wait a second, I'm watching someone literally, you know, practice gluttony at the highest level. Like it just yeah. doesn't, it makes no sense, but that's kind of the world we live in. Um, I'm curious to know, like, cause obviously your business is primarily, I mean, almost, I guess hundred percent working with athletes. I'm not sure, but you work mostly with top athletes. Who are some of the guys that you've worked with that, and not to like belittle anybody else, but who are some of the guys you've worked with that have just been like the most like just exciting to to work with uh let's see so there's a guy uh one of my athletes named quentin Patton, um and we we actually played together for one year at tech he was quite a bit older than me and he was drafted by the 49ers but he's just got the most energy in the room at all times right like he will literally and at times there will be you know a 70 year old coming off a knee replacement that will be in the same room and he'll run over there, hit a backflip, and give her a high five. Like, stuff like that. <laughs> it, like, it genuinely, it keeps me rolling. Um, and, and George Kittle, he, he can't be uh, not talked about in this either because he's a, he's a huge WWE fan. Mm. So, mid-workout, he's doing, like, you know, fake kicks to somebody's face, smacking his leg, like, making it sound like he made contact. Like, he, he's, he's a very high-energy guy, big Ric Flair fan, loves the woos all the time. Um, <laughs> And then there's, you know, one of his training partners, Rob Tanya, and he, he's typically pretty conservative, but because of that, now they're vibing off each other. Right. Mm. Um, but a lot of these guys, like, you know, Eric Decker, we would have casual conversation during workouts. There was no, there was no hype man. There was no, any of that. Like my energy, I had to, I had to decrease my energy when he would come in, not because he didn't enjoy training or enjoy working out, but that's not what he looked for. Right. Sure. Um, some of these younger athletes, I see it a lot more in the second, third, or fourth year NFL guys. They want they want a little bit of a little bit of hype in their workout. I don't know if it's because they're coming only three or four years removed from college where they had it every single day, or if it's just the generation they're just a little bit younger and you know enjoy it more. Um, sure. 
basketball players definitely don't enjoy it. I think it's more just their culture, right? Um, they don't like being yelled at. They don't like being screamed at and all that stuff. Baseball players, eh, you know, they can appreciate a little bit of hype here or there, but primarily football players and track athletes mm. enjoy the hype. They enjoy the hype music. They enjoy that stuff. And I think it's just the culture that they're brought up in for the most part. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And, and having played a variety of sports, like I definitely know there's a different vibe depending on, you know, which sport you're involved in, right? Like wrestling, those guys were insane. Like <laughs> it's like they just lived for like pain, right? Like let's see right. how we can just, you know, basically run ourselves into the ground, literally. Um, baseball was almost like, let's just check the box and let's go out and actually do the skill stuff that we need to do to be great at baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, football was very alpha, like who can throw up the most weight, who can, you know, run the fastest, who can hit the hardest. Uh, and there was a love for the atmosphere of training, right? It was just a hype atmosphere. Yep. Uh, so it's, it's interesting to see the different sports and, uh, you know, how people involved in those sports approach training it's it's very interesting um i have to selfishly ask you a question as we get close to wrapping up so you know for people out there who deal with things like runner's knee we'll use runner's knee as an example okay how would you approach somebody who's like okay i really am getting into running or whatever sport it may be right we'll just use Uh running as the example and they experience an injury that kind of prevents you from enjoying it right like you enjoy it but then you're like shit you know i really want to keep doing this but i got this damn injury that won't go away right what what do you what what would be your approach? How would you go after fixing it and preventing it? Uh, I think it comes down to your screening process, right? So I would have to take them through. You know, I do a modified FMS, but for me, I I, I like to know how the posterior chain is working, right? So mm-hmm. I do I do single leg squats to like a high box. I'll progress it down, um, different glute bridge variations. And for most, one, I'll, I'll realize where that pain initiates, right, on that single leg squat the box. And then I'll know if they have, you know, a little bit of issue from their TFL or their glute meat or if it's just they've been pounding on that for too long, like too quickly, I guess I should say, and they just don't have the muscular support to, to do it yet. So I, I actually have a client. Um, she came to me with a – she's a – you know, not a recreational runner. She runs every day. So I'd say, you know, she's pretty competitive in it, but she had a labral tear. So we kind of worked around that increased our, um, just our hip flexion through, uh, some banded work, banded dead bugs, all that stuff. Cause all she'd ever done is squat, squat, squat. But mm-hmm. then when it came to driving the knee, she didn't have it. So then when she started running, you know, she had a little bit of, uh, imbalance in there and ended up tearing her labrum anyway. We got to a point where we were great, no pain in the hip, all was good. She started back at two miles, then three miles. Then we're, next thing you know, she's five on her long day, three on her short, six on her long day, four on her short. And I, I had to slow her down a little bit because I knew she was getting excited and kind of have that talk like, you know, volume is volume. So unless we're going to slow some down here in the weight room, something's got to give somewhere else, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't just go from not running to running two on your short, three on your, on your long, to now we're at eight on our long, five and a half on our short. Well, now we're at, you know, 40 miles a week running, but we're still training the same, the same amount. Um, and, you know, a lot of runners, I don't know if you're this way, she didn't want to listen to me. She tried to hit, <laughs> she tried to hit a 10 and now she's, she's got some patellar stuff coming on. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was anything that she did wrong. I just don't think she's physically strong enough to run that much this, this soon. Um, so kind of taking her back, right. Working on a ton of unilateral strength, 
uh, for most runners, I think it uh, transfers perfectly, right? Because they're never you're not hopping out there, right? You're not doing frog jumps. Sure. Um, you're running on one leg, right? So I try to probably implement 70-30, and I know most people um, would always start with the bilateral squats, trap bar, whatever it is. But I always start with two blocks of unilateral. I'm almost priming the muscle for the uh, bilateral that we're going to do later. Because for them, I think that's more important for their respective sport, for your respective sport, is to be as strong as you can through unilateral movements and then get in your, you know, your glorified hypertrophy work on your, um, on your bilateral. If you're running every, you know, however long it is, the ability to absorb and reproduce that force on one limb to the next is way more important than how much you can back squat. Mm. Makes Does that sense. Make sense. Yeah, um, it makes so, tremendous sense. So for you, maybe maybe incorporate a little bit more unilateral stuff and see how that does for you. Um, and don't forget, I think a lot of coaches out there, not that they forget about it, but one of the most underutilized or under-prescribed muscles is the adductors. Mm. Um, and if you, you know, if you forget about them, then they become you know, insufficient. If they're insufficient, maybe they're not helping out quite as much as they should during your gait. And then you know, maybe you end up with a little bit of knee pain. Um, not that that's the reason, but I don't, I don't see it prescribed enough in programs that I'm looking at from people um, is, you know, groin work and it's, it's not fancy and you can't really tell a difference and know you're not going to eliminate your inner leg fat by doing lateral lunches, but <laughs> you're going, you will get stronger and you'll make yourself a more complete athlete by doing so. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. I and one thing I always tell people is, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's probably related. I know for me, um, you know, it's a couple things. Probably it's rushing back into running after having bicep surgery. You know, jumping back into, you know, 15 miles a week. That's kind of stupid, right? Um, if you've been out for a good chunk of time. Um, and then I did have some groin pain uh, leading up to uh, my surgery, and then I, you know, I had surgery for my bicep tear and stopped running for a while, and then just got back into it in the past month have had, you know, knee pain, but I'm sure it's all related. So I think you're, I mean, obviously you're spot on, you know, exactly what you're talking about, but um, I think most people who listen to this, who have nagging injuries, it's not just that area, especially like with a knee, it's typically the things around the knee, right? It's typically a lot of the supporting muscle groups and whatnot. Yep. So the knee pain is, is the surface. It's your patella tendon is fine, but what's the underlying, you know, structural issue um, that is causing the knee pain, right? So mm. there's two ways to think about this. Function affects structure for most, but for some people, they're just structurally off a little bit. So that's going to affect the way that they function. Mm. Um, where, you know, you can, you know, a lot of, there's a, a million ways to take that conversation. It can go for an hour on its own, right? Right. Sure. But I think in modern strength conditioning and for 90 plus percent of people, the way that their body functions is affecting the overall structure of their pain. So for you, um, it could just be a simple gait issue. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so far from a running coach. If I run three miles right now, you may have to drive to Nashville and pick me up. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I hate running and I had knee surgery about six weeks ago. So I'm definitely not going to run after mm. that. Um, but it's just something that I, I don't enjoy doing. And if I do, I'm not very sound as a distance runner and I, I'll come back. My back will be hurting. My calves are like, I, yeah. I understand that the funk, like I'm not very functional with it. So it's going to, you know, structurally it'll throw me off a little bit. And next thing you know, I'll be in 
severe pain. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy because like I I have the endurance, uh, you know, like factor. I I come from a family of endurance athletes, and I never pers- I never pursued endurance. It was always you know the explosive sports. Um, right. And now that I've started to do more endurance, I just have that natural ability to run long distance. Um, unfortunately, my structure, or not even the structure, but just my functionality isn't you know where it needs to be. My body's just not, hasn't been practicing um, that movement pattern uh, of running for a long time. And so now it's like, okay, I got to, you know, and then obviously you combine it with doing a lot of pool stuff, um, and, and being exhausted, you know, when trying to climb and do all that stuff, um, you know, you kind of have a recipe for injuries. <laughs> That's just, you know, the nature of the beast. Um, even for somebody who's extremely fit like me, um, you know, it's just a different type of fit. What, uh, so what, what's your goal for running? Do you, do you do it just for aesthetic purposes or are you more endorphin driven from it? Uh, well, it's it's definitely uh, com- a, co- a competitive bug that I have for the obstacle course racing, right? So mm-hmm. there's different obstacle courses uh, as far as distance goes. There's, you know, short courses that are like three or four miles. There's eight mile courses. And then there's, you know, 12 to 15 mile courses. I just have that. I, I guess it's the endorphins that you get during and then after. Um, mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. Um, as far as like, uh, you know, other overarching reasons. It would just be because I enjoy the competitiveness of the sport. I think it's fun. Um, so running particularly for that competitive sport is really where uh, my drive comes from. Um, as far as becoming like just a runner, I'm, I'm not really interested in that. I like combining the strength and, you know, hypertrophy with, with running. Um, yep. But yeah, that's where it's coming from for sure. Gotcha. Because, you know, with some it's, you know, it's really hard to tell a runner to quit running. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's something that, you know, some of my clients uh, struggle with is, you know, at some point um, maybe taken, you know, especially from a cardiovascular um, endurance athlete trying to get them to quote unquote deload. They're like, no, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't go a week without running. What right. do you mean? I'm like, yeah, I promise you, you can like, Go to a couple of spin classes, whatever it is, just um, having the ability, I think kind of going back to probably 10, 15 minutes ago, just having that trust with your clients to where they can, they can do some of the stuff you prescribe, even though they may not want to, but we know as professionals that it'll help them in the long term, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's absolutely a good point. I mean, I, I've incorporated cycling into my training, uh, to satisfy that endorphin, <laughs> uh, you know, endurance rush, uh, yep. but not, not aggravate the knee. Right. Um, yep. when I do biking, my knee feels great and I can bike like a freak. Um, which is weird. You know, I, I guess it's, it's cool to kind of experiment and be like, Oh, I've never biked before hop on a bike and you know, you're crushing you it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, man. So how do people, so obviously there are probably people listening who want to learn more information about what you do. How, what's the best way for people to connect with you? And do you work with people virtually or do you do everything in person? Yeah. So that's actually something I've been trying to not, you know, I, I don't want to say I've been trying because if you look at like my social media, it would say, no, Josh, you really haven't been trying that much, but <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in growing more of a online training platform. Right. So I do have some clients. Uh, if you follow me, Jay Cuthbert underscore training on Instagram, that's probably the best way also on Facebook, but I don't, I don't use Facebook for much other than, you know, buying stuff for our nursery um, on Facebook market. But the biggest, 
biggest, easiest way is either Instagram or alpha-1strengthtraining.com. Uh, I do have some sample programs on there that you can purchase. And then, you know, for me, I like to offer, you know, as much of a coaching, macro coaching, kind of the all-in package as I can, because from what I've seen from a lot of my clients, the reason they don't get success from training is all kind of based on the nutrition, right? So mm. that's kind of how I probably got here now as I developed a relationship with Jason Phillips a couple of years ago. And then uh, Cody McBroom come, came from that. And then kind of down the, down the kind of pathway here, we've met um, to do this podcast, right? But I think it all boils down to the nutrition coaching. Um, I like to prescribe a ton of exercises. I think I'm pretty good at it, but if their nutrition is not in order, they're not going anywhere. So that's sure. one of the big, one of the biggest components that I offer for my online clients now is just the ability to have both of those things in one. Uh, there's a lot of nutrition coaches out there and there's a lot of strictly online coaches out there, but those of us that are willing to do both, I think is what's kind of going to separate, you know, the good from the, the great as the, as the industry continues to grow. Right. Sure. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, nutrition, especially for the people who aren't training around the clock. I mean, it's hard to out train a bad diet, even for athletes. I feel like it's, it's really you know, challenging, you know? Um, and so I think if we get that locked in training just becomes so much better, you feel better, your energy's better. Um, you know, I, I notice like, you know, if I go out for drinks or pizza or whatever, the next day, if I wake up and go for a run, I feel like shit, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but if I eat my normal healthy nutrition plan, I wake up and I can just run, you know, like for hours, uh, yep. obviously if my knee's not hurting, <laughs> but you know, like you just feel different and, and same obviously goes for weight training for whatever you're doing. You know, when you eat better, you perform better. Um, yep. and that goes 100%. for life, man. Um, Awesome, bro. Hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, you work with some awesome athletes, guys I know that uh, I root against for the most part. Because <laughs> yeah. being a Chicago guy, I'm like, you work with a lot of 49ers, you work with uh, guys on the Seahawks and stuff that, you know, they, they used to wreck my, my Sundays um, pretty much every Sunday. So now I'm, uh, I'm like, oh, man, those guys are probably pretty cool, but I can't root for them. <laughs> yeah. um, so I appreciate you coming on the show, man, and it's been cool to connect with you and uh, – I appreciate your content. I appreciate what you're doing. I, I appreciate you having me on, man. It was good. It was great. Awesome, man. Talk to you soon, brother. Yes, sir. Have, have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to the True Transformation Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review and subscribe to the show. True Transformation.